Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. And uh, we're really, really grateful. And if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is uh, Dominic. I'm one of the leaders here. And you are surrounded by some gifted people, generous people. And especially if you're here for the first time, uh, we just want to say thank you for being with us. If you're watching online, so great to have you with us. If you're watching live or later uh, as we begin this uh, new teaching series together. And before I start this teaching series, I just want to tell you something that's really, really important. And it's a, really a chance for me to say thank you to so many of you. Many of you have been so generous, especially as we came out of the end of last year and moving into the new year. You've been generous with your time. Some of you have stepped up to serve with our kids' ministry. You've been generous with your money. And so I want to say a huge thank you. And if you're, like, interested in how to give or why we give, in a very simple way, it's because God first gave to us. So we get to do something that we've seen and are learning about how God has given and how He's generous. But a few weeks ago, we've been sharing with you about a need in our community related to us giving in a different way. And I know it was getting warmer, so maybe we thought winter was over, but it's not. We learned that very quickly. But there is a local school in our area that we partner with that has been requesting some mitts and some other kind of materials and items. And so we would love if we as a church could just respond in a way that would remind the school that we're generous and not just generous for things that matter to us but generous for also things that matter to our community. And so maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not ready to give financially, I, I'm not even sure I believe in church, but you just want to help us with this need to help a local school. So on your way out, you can see some baskets out there, you can talk to our host team or go to our website. We're going to be doing that for the next few weeks. We'd love to just help this community, help some young kids who are less fortunate, who need some items, especially since we're still in the winter season. So thanks for helping us do that. Uh, one of the things I'm excited about this morning is that we get to begin this new teaching series. And this teaching series, as you saw in the video, is going to help us to look at these incredible statements that Jesus makes about himself. There are these famous I am statements, and in a little while I'll tell you where they're found in the Bible. But before we get into them, I just want to tell you that for many of us, we are entering a season that's called Lent. And maybe you've heard that word before, like what does Lent mean? I mean, when I was young and I think I was learning about God and I heard someone say Lent, I thought like, did you, I lent you my book or did I lent you something? Like what does that even mean? Some of you maybe have experienced that. You hear a word that's like a church word and you're like, what are people, like what is that about? Some of you maybe have experienced seeing someone with ashes on their head and you're like, that's weird, uh, you know, or whatever. There's a lot of things that happen sometimes in the life of a community of people like us that other people might not understand. And so Lent is this important season where we get really intentional about following Jesus into a very difficult season that Jesus will enter. And that season is Jesus moving towards the cross and we get to feel the weight of what it would have been like for his disciples to follow him as he says certain things that are confusing, sometimes overwhelming, and other times gets people who hear them really, really angry. And this morning, you're going to see in a little while how that happens. But Lent, when I think about it too, for some people, it's hard because the word Lent is not in the Bible. 
So they'd be like, like, where is that found in the Bible? So I want to just begin by showing you this verse in the Bible that I always think about when I think about the Lent season. And it's found in the book of Romans, and you'll see it on the screen. This is what it says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you wanted like one passage in the Bible to help you understand the meaning of Lent or the Lent season, this one might help you. It's about paying attention to patterns in our life that are not patterns that help us love God more. They're not patterns that help us want to know more about Jesus, but they're patterns that are shaped by the things in this world. And the Bible calls them pattern of the world. This pattern of this way of thinking about our lives in the world, and trust me, if, if you don't know it, you felt it. There's a pattern of this world to see every day as like the worst day ever. There's a pattern of this world to feel like everything's falling apart all the time. There's a pattern in this world that crushes our hope and our trust in God. There's a pattern. Now, when I was growing up, whenever I thought about pattern of the world, I often thought about these things you should avoid. You know, like, you shouldn't like smoke, and you shouldn't drink, and don't chew gum in church, and Jesus hates caps, and don't play sports on Sunday. I don't know, like weird things. Okay, all these things. And the same people who were saying that to me never talked about the power of greed. They were people who gossiped more than anyone. We never talked about gluttony. All these other patterns that were pattern of the world. So if we're not careful... When we hear the word pattern of the world, we pick all the things that we don't like about the world, but we never talk about things that are in our hearts that God has to heal. So Lent is a time where we get honest, not just about all the bad things out there, but we get honest about some of the ways in the pattern of the world that have creeped into our lives. The way we live, the way we talk, the way we give, the way we respond to things. Nobody gets up and decides one day, I can't wait to be a liar. Nobody does that. But it begins by saying something that nobody says, hey, that's just not the whole truth. And it begins by somebody saying, well, nobody said anything, so I'm going to try it again and try it again. And next thing you know, you just lie with ease and it doesn't even bother you that your lies hurt someone else. A pattern of the world has gripped your heart. Lent is that time where we start to pay attention to this. We pay attention to patterns that just happen almost like by mistake. Like, to give you an example, the past 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years, we have been all developed into a pattern to have a computer in our pockets. This is a pattern that if you try to change, you will see how powerful it is. If I asked all of you to leave your phones in your car for the next hour, you would feel that there's a pattern about how quickly you go to your phone, how quickly you want to check something that is a pattern of the world. Now, phones are not bad, but I'll give you an example of how a pattern like that can get really, really bad. Here's an article from Scientific Journal about the uses of phones, especially at night. This is what it says. Increased nighttime mobile phone use was directly associated with increased externalizing behavior and decreased self-esteem. This is not even somebody who's a Christian who talks about pattern of the world. This is people who study the use of a new pattern for us, something Jesus never had to worry about. A pattern that if we're not careful about when we use our phones and how we engage with them, especially later at night, increased time at night, it leads to all kinds of internal things that make us less and less able to trust God. A certain thing about our self-esteem happens. So we can hear this, we can read this and be like, yeah, I think it's true. But how many of you are going to change your phone use at night? How many of you are going to be like, it's true. I need to pay attention about wasting too much time on my phone, looking at nonsense. Oh my gosh, that, that's so funny, but it doesn't matter, right? Whatever. All I want you to know is that there's this indirect thing that happens in our world because patterns in our culture shape how we live and how we think. And after a while, even something that's good turns into a pattern that becomes something bad. Lent is this great time for us to really pay attention to that, to some of these habits, these patterns, these things that are just in the world that we just do 
that we don't realize maybe has shaped us in a way that is just not healthy. Now, I want to give you some other words that will help you maybe understand Lent in a bigger picture because Lent also is just a period of 40 days, right, that helps us think about confession, and you'll see it on the screen here, and also help us think about the idea of freedom. Maybe you've been in a pattern for so long that you've forgotten or you don't believe anymore that God could set you free. Maybe that's happened to you. It's happened to me in my life. There's been a cycle of my life where I've been discouraged or sad or judgmental. Like I've seen some in my life where I'm judgmental against everyone and it becomes a pattern and I don't even believe that God can heal me because I'm so used to that. The part of Lent is believing again that God can set us free from patterns that are linked to this world that will always keep us from going with Jesus all the way to the cross. They will. And we get a chance to slow down and say, God, I I need to confess this. I need to be more and more aware of this. I need to share with others and ask for help. I need to pray with others about this. So Lent is like kind of this journey that we get to go on together. And when we develop new patterns, we start to taste of the freedom that God gives us. Like I, I think about this for our church because over the past few weeks, some of the couples, about 25 couples or so, have committed to set up a new pattern in their lives that every Monday night we get together and deal with this marriage course. And it's not like magical thing. It's not like our marriages are just going to magically be amazing. But there's a pattern that we've set for every Monday night to gather together and to listen and to watch and to surrender our marriages to God again. Maybe you've never done that and we'll do the course again and you can sign up. But a simple thing like a pattern or a day, this day will matter in a different way. It's part of what Lent awakens in us. It stirs in us this sense of saying it's true. Like over time, something that might not even be something bad can become a pattern that is moving me further and further away from the things of God. Now, one of the things we're going to do in this series to help you for part of Lent is to look at these sayings that Jesus uses. If you don't have a Bible or this is kind of a new experience for you in the Bible, maybe you're watching online and you're like, I'm not into God or church, you know. We want to let you know that this teaching series, if you want to learn about Jesus, is found in one book of the Bible called the Gospel of John. Okay, in the Gospel of John, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Okay, the last one that we have is where these sayings of Jesus, their I am sayings, are found. There's seven of them, and they're all found in the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is this beautiful uh, letter that's written. It's a biography of Jesus, and it's the last one. It's actually the latest one written, and it gives us these statements of Jesus in there. So if you want to just begin the process, just begin by reading some of the Gospel of John with us, and we'll highlight where these statements are. And every time I think about this, and I was preparing this week, I felt so convicted in my own life because I, I think I read about Jesus and I, I learn about Jesus and I read these stories and I'm like, if I was Jesus, I would use so many different I am statements. I would never just say, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I would say like, I am like amazing. Like I would say that if I was Jesus. Or if I was with Jesus, I'd be like, Jesus, when next time they ask you questions, tell them you know everything. Tell them, tell them that. Or tell them, like, I am the most powerful one and you should worship me. Jesus, say that. That'll be so good. I feel that that's what I would do if I was Jesus. If I was Jesus, I would find a way to use all my power, all my knowledge, and tell people, I am the one who knows what you're thinking. (laughs) Ha ha! Jesus never does that. I hate that that happens. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because the patterns of this world are not in him. He doesn't do that because all of the I am statements he's going to share with us are meant to link what he's doing to the great story of Israel in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. So when we share about these I am statements, we're going to try to help you to hear what Jesus is saying in a context where people have questions about how God works in the world and whether the God who's been faithful in the past is still faithful today. 
So Jesus uses these I am statements to invite people into the conversation, and they won't be easy to understand. At the end, sometimes they're going to be like, I, I don't know what that means. I am divine. Like, what do we do with that? I'm the way, the truth, the life. Whoa, that's, that's hard. Like, just give me one. Give me three, I, one at a time. He's going to start using these kind of statements. So for you, maybe that's a new journey to learn about Jesus in this way. Maybe you know somebody who's still struggling with believing in God. You might want to even share this with them and say, hey, I'm learning to understand Jesus better. Would you kind of come on this journey with me as we learn about these famous I am statements that Jesus shares? Now, I got to tell you one more thing before we get there. I got to tell you a sacred story that is an ancient story. I got to tell you this story because everybody who hears Jesus share these I am statements, they know this story. Not only do they know this story, they have it in the back of their minds because when Jesus says, I am, whatever he's going to say, it's linked to another time when God shows his power and his faithfulness by using that very same language. And so I need to tell you the story, and I'm going to tell you the story by telling you about a man who we kind of hear about in different ways in the Bible, but one of the things about this man I want you to know is he's experienced what it's like to trust the patterns of this world. He trusted the patterns of this world, and one day when he found himself in a very difficult situation, he responded in the pattern of the world. He responded by seeing people who were being hurt, and he said one of the ways we deal with when people are being hurt is you respond by getting, getting them back, and he killed somebody. And so he became a murderer. So if people wanted to talk about this man, maybe they would make a t-shirt of him, and it would say his name, and it would say lock him up because he's a murderer. And when we meet this man in this sacred story, he's about 80 years old. He's a man who's been running most of his life. He made mistakes. He's not sure really if God has anything to do with him anymore. And he's in the desert. And we know this man and often call this man Moses. Moses is a person who's been running his life. And, and we meet him in this moment in the story. Remember, you have to know this story to understand the I am statements in John's gospel. So I'll tell you the story. Every time I think of Moses or, you know, picture in your mind an old man who's 80 years old and living in the desert for 40 years. I don't know what comes to mind. But I think of an image like this. Now, somebody asked me in the, in the others, is that Moses? Somebody asked me, is that one more? I'm like, no, it's not Moses. It's a guy, Google Images. Okay, but, it's, <laughs> but when I think of Moses, I think of someone like this. Old man, wisdom, tired. And when we meet him in the story, he's a shepherd in the desert. I had a chance a few years ago to visit Cairo. I was in Egypt for some teaching. And, and I remember getting off the plane and thinking, okay, there's hot and then there's Egypt, I'm going to kill you hot. Like, there's that hot. Like, that, the heat of the desert lasts at water. <laughs> it's like, you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't ma- imagine like one week here. 40 years. 80 years. Moses is in this story. And the sacred part of the story is that he's moved on, and one day something happens where God wants to remind him that the patterns of this world have not ended the way God wants to use him. That the mistakes he's made, the challenges he has, no matter how old he feels, no matter how tired he is, God has something for him to do now. And I, I can just imagine, like 80 years old, you're like, I'm just, I'm just tired. Somebody get my cane. I don't know, what do you mean? And he sees, while he's in the desert, this bush that is on fire. And out of this bush comes this voice. And some of you know this famous story, right? I mean, Prince of Egypt, Disney's got a hold of it, it's over, right? But there's this incredible moment in the story, which I'll tell you fast. You need to know the story to understand what? The I am statements of Jesus. That out of this bush, he hears some instruction. He realizes that there's someone speaking to him. And he's like, this, is this God? He goes over to the bush, probably like this. 
Every time I think, and he's, did I just hear something? Well, I'm old. Maybe I can't really, I can't hear, right? And he realizes that this voice is speaking to him. And at one point, he has a dialogue with this voice. He asks questions because I would ask questions and you would ask questions. That's what he says to the burning bush that he realizes is more than just a burning bush. He says this, Moses said to God, to that voice, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is the name? What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, how many of you are like, that, that's not going to help us. If you're with Moses, you're like, okay, wait a second. We know the names of other gods, and they're not that. Like, what do you mean, I am who I am? If you know a little bit of Hebrew and you read the story, rabbinic scholars would say, the Hebrew construct of this section of the Bible is so hard to understand. It can, it can be translated as I am who I am who will be because I will be. Like, it's like God is not past or present or future. He's everything and he is the I am. Moses is like, what? You want to read this, and if you look at the slide, just the slide, I, I give you like the section of Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3. Maybe you want to read the whole story, but you need to know one more thing about this sacred moment for Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt, and he knew something about the ancient Egyptian worship of the gods. He knew that one of the most important things about all the gods of Egypt is it was so important to know their name. Because when you knew their name, you can use those gods when you needed them to do something for you. If somebody hurt you or offended you, you would, you would pray to a god and you would call down a curse from heaven to punish all the people who didn't like you. Any of you know anybody like that? You, you, they get you upset and you want to respond. And Moses knows because he's, he's lived in moments where he was angry and he just killed somebody. And Moses grew up in a world that when you wanted the gods to do something, you called them by name. And all of a sudden, he learns that this God who's speaking to him through this burning bush has a name that cannot be used like those names. He's not a God that, whose name you can just call on and use for your own personal or private agendas. He's the God who calls people to serve him. And his name is I am who I am. Moses is like, I'm going to go to Pharaoh. Like, okay, burning bush, I'm going to slow it down. Pharaoh has like a big army, and it's not gonna, this is not going to work. And you know the story, I know the story. If you don't know the story, Moses goes. He's obedient. And before he does, he makes all these excuses. He might be 80 years old, but he's a 15-year-old teenager in his heart. Right? He's like, I have some, I have questions. Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Like, how far? How long? I can't even speak. Moses is great. Moses is us. All the excuses you would make and I would make to not go to a place that's going to be uncomfortable, out of your comfort zone. You have to trust God in ways that you never had to trust God before because you don't even really know his, like, name. He is I am who I am. The sacred story of Moses. You got it? Everybody got it? If you didn't, I'll do it again. Second service, I can go two hours. <laughs> Kidding. People online, where, where's the X? Where's the X? Cancel. Okay. <laughs> Kidding. Stay, 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 stay with us. You're all ready for John's gospel. You're all ready to hear the first I am statement of Jesus. This I am statement is found in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a section where Jesus shares about this profound moment where he says, I am the bread of life. That's what I'm going to say. And I want you to kind of feel the movement of the text. And one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do is to read John chapter 6. Everybody good with that? Yeah? 
Just say yes. So if you don't, you're lying in church. Yes, yes, John chapter 6, got you. Okay. John chapter 6, you're going to read it. And when it begins, it kind of begins with this teachable moment where Jesus is with his disciples, and you'll see it on the slide, and you'll see the word bread right away in a very unique way. It says this. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near, linked to Moses. And when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? John chapter 6 begins with people needing bread. You may have never realized this before, but it would have been so strange for Philip to be like, Jesus, what do you mean where are we going to buy food for people to eat? You're Jesus. Like, you, you can do this. Like, you'll figure it out. It's one of those moments where the disciples have to learn something that we all have to learn. That in life, we find ourselves in places where we are outpaced and is out of our league. We feel like we've made a mess. We've made too many decisions. We said yes to too many people. And now it's like, this is way out of my pay grade. Like, I can't do any of this. Philip and the disciples see this crowd. Jesus sees the crowd. All these people need to eat. And you expect Jesus to say, guys, just have them all sit down. And in another passage, this happens. But the way Jesus does this is so beautiful. He says, Philip, like, what, what, are, what are you guys going to do? Like, what, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get money? Anybody going to do like a, but let's pass the plate. Anybody have change? We get some extra money to buy some bread? Before Jesus explains how he is the bread of life, he's going to remind them that he has bread that will sustain them in this life. Just food. Jesus can sustain them. And they can have bread. And he'll provide it. And you're going, when you read John chapter 6, you're going to see what Jesus does. He's going to provide in a way that's amazing. The disciples are like, wow. But they're learning that to follow this Jesus is to at times be in places where we are out of our comfort zone. We are in places that are beyond our ability. We didn't learn it in school. We didn't pray enough. We're not sure. What do we do now? And Jesus in this next season, maybe this Lent, is preparing you for one of those seasons. He's about to move you into a space where naturally you will feel that all the tricks and tips you know do not work now. Because you need to understand what it means that you can trust them as the bread of life. And so if you read John, after this moment, Jesus will tell, tell his disciples to get on a boat. And they'll go on a boat for a while and they'll travel. And then Jesus will meet them. So this is important. Like this is all happening in John chapter 6, remember? And Jesus is waiting for a teachable moment, which he's a master of, to teach them that he is the bread of life. And at one point, the disciples, I think like us, they're just like, Jesus, we've seen a lot of amazing things. Like there's, like there's people are following you. Like this is wild. You know, like we just have some questions. And they ask him this great question. This is a great question. I mean, if I was there, I'm like, guys, that's a good one. Ask, ask it again. Ask it again. This is what they say to Jesus one moment. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? Like we've seen what you've done, but we're trying to believe you. What sign can we see? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Moses, in your mind. Manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. The disciples are like, this is amazing, but are you the one that we should really surrender our lives to? Like, are you the one we've been waiting for? You know what we need, Jesus? You know what would help us? If you give us a sign. We need a sign. And what's so important about this moment in the story, and you'll see it over there on the slide, I gave you Exodus chapter 16, if you're like, want to know where the story of the manna in the wilderness is, is that everybody who tasted and saw the sign of God giving them bread from heaven 
still ended up doubting God's faithfulness. It means that signs will not get you to the place where you will surrender to God. And yet we live in a world where the greatest excuse people make still today in order to not say yes to God is to wait for a sign. There's people that I meet that are addicted to signs. Everything is a sign. Is that a sign? Is that a sign? What's my sign? What about that sign? You need to learn and I need to learn that the sign that we're going to get is the sign of Jesus, our Lord and King, going to a cross, a sign nobody wants to see. And if you're looking for a special sign, Jesus is like, you want to talk about a sign in the wilderness? Do you know those people in the wilderness that God gave bread from heaven to them? After they ate their bread, they soon started complaining that they needed more from God. Signs won't be enough. And Jesus is still preparing them for them to learn that he is what? He's the bread of life. Now, because it's Lent, I thought part of what I'll do in this sermon is just give you some questions to think about as you think about how God is stretching you. One of them has to do with paying attention to the excuses that you make. Excuses I make that you make, and here, it's on the slide. You'll see the questions. Very, very simple. Just go to the next slide. It says this. What excuses do I make to avoid surrendering to God? What excuses do you make? I've made a lot of them. If you need some, here, here, are, here they are. You know, one of them is it's like it's too busy at work. I can't be at the prayer night. It's going to be a lot. My kids, my kids, they never listen to me. They're always, they're home, they have a lot of homework. It's, it's great. Homework, it's, it's homework. God knows I'm, I'm helping them with their homework. I need a sign. If I get a clear sign, then I'll do it. My husband, my wife, my cat, my parrot, all of us. You know, it becomes easier and easier to make excuses to surrendering to God when the pattern of the world has your heart. Almost everything that will come in the way of you surrendering to God this Lent will be because something good has become a pattern that has turned into something bad. Because work is not bad, and a dog or a cat or a pet is not bad, and our kids being good at their homework, that's not bad. But when those things become patterns that become excuses for us to be faithful to the way of Jesus we have a problem. Thank God for Lent. Lent is this time. In a few days, we're going to invite you to come and just pray with us. If you can, just look at your schedule. Say, I don't want to make an excuse. I just want to come as just a statement at the beginning of this Lent series to just surrender some things to God. Maybe for you that sounds very scary. What if God asks me to do something, you know, that I don't know what to do? He will. Just get over it. He's going to do what he did to his earliest disciples. He's going to stretch how they think about God. He's going to stretch what it means to sacrifice. And then at the next point in the story, Jesus thinks it's the right time to tell them the truth. This is what he says to them next. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You're like, they all would have had a sense of like, wait a second. You know how we know how controversial this is? That for us, we're like, that's very nice. I should get a t-shirt of that. That later in the story, people are going to be like, did he actually say that? He's not allowed to say that. They hear like, I am language. And they hear Jesus saying that those who get his way of life, those who eat of his teachings and his ways will never grow hungry again. I don't know of any food that does that. I've never tasted, I tasted good bread and great food, but never that you're like, I'm never hungry anymore. You know why it's so important to embrace that Jesus is the bread of life? Because when you believe him and you take his teachings and they go into your soul and you believe that 
I am the bread of life means I am the one who was there with Moses and I can be here with you. When you believe that, the pattern of this world lose their grip on you. The pattern of this world lose their grip because now you're no longer thirsty or hungry for something else, for something more. If only I have that. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life. And those who've said yes to him are being sustained in a whole different way. And the disciples are like, you are the bread of life. What does that even mean? How do, we, how do we eat? Like, how do we taste of this? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you're watching online and you know this, that one of the powerful images of this is when we take communion. There's a sense that we're seeing this bread and we're like, Jesus said he is the bread of life. Okay, he doesn't just mean eating bread. He can give you that at the beginning of chapter six. But the food is meant to sustain us in a deeper way when we say yes to his ways. We say yes to his ways and we believe him. And we start to realize that we are not thirsty anymore for the pattern or the things of this world. They don't really matter anymore the same way. Maybe for you, you realized you're not hungry for the things of God anymore. You're hungry for a lot of other things. You want your kids to be successful, you're hungry for that. You want your business to double, scale. We got to scale. That, that you need. But the things of God, you're not hungry for anymore. Maybe here's another question for you, for your prayer time. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. What habits or patterns keep me from a deeper hungry for the things of God? What is a pattern or habit that this Lent, Jesus will show you, say, until you don't deal with this, you will never be hungry for the things that I have in store for you? What is that? All of us, if we're not careful, will have seasons where this starts to happen to us. We're hungry for so many other things. We're inspired by so many other things. We click and share so many other things but our hunger to say, I just need to focus and grow in my relationship with God, it's kind of lost. God loves us. He knows I'm busy. He doesn't mind. And I think along the way, Jesus is going to tell his disciples that you have to learn that I am is here. And I have a way of life that I'm calling you into that if you just look at this world, you will never trust me as we go towards the cross. Before we close, I just want you to think about what it would mean for you to take this Lent seriously. I'm going to have Sean come back and play. And I want to just tell you something else about Lent that is easy to miss. That oftentimes Christians, when they celebrated Lent and they have 40 days, confession, experiencing God's freedom, they added one more thing as a reminder, and that's fasting. Fasting is this powerful practice about a pattern, about watching a pattern. Christians didn't invent fasting. Other people do fasting. But there's something about fasting where Jesus was going to tell his disciples that they should fast certain things as a way of realizing that some things are harder to give up than we thought. If you don't believe you have a pattern in your life, try to surrender it to God and see what happens. See if it has your heart, because if it doesn't, it'll be easy. Fasting is that moment where we realize I need to be sustained in my inner life only by the words of Jesus and what he says. He really is the bread of life. Maybe you have to fast something. Maybe God's calling you to fast technology, food. Maybe for some of you, you've never fasted a meal and you want to learn that. You know, when Christians have fasted, they felt in their stomach what it's like to be hungry. The richest place in the world to feel hungry, to, to associate our lives with the poverty of the world where many people in the world will get one meal a day. Just fast to feel what it's like to be among the poor, the poorest of the world. Fast. And in that moment, remind yourself that although you can eat real bread, you're learning to worship the one who says, I am the bread of life. Trust me. I said it earlier in the service. I said, for some of you, maybe you need to start fasting how you use your time. 
If you need something to fast or something to help you, can I encourage you maybe start fasting 7 p.m. on Saturday night till 7 p.m. on Sunday night. Fast that time and give it to Jesus. Every Saturday evening till Sunday evening, you set that time aside to say this time now is a sacred space where I want to prepare myself for the weekend and for the fact that I want to learn from God and be with other Christians and begin to practice it. Now, it's not a legalistic thing. You might miss, miss that. But maybe you just need help to have like a schedule to say, God, just I want to fast this time. You know what that would mean? That Saturday nights you'd go to bed earlier. That half of you would not fall asleep when I preach. And Sean, and they would listen to me. We all need help to do this. And what's most beautiful about Lent is as we step in with the little faith that we have to do this, God meets us there. And he shows us that he has a strength for us that we could never have come up on our own. Because this is not about trying to earn God's love or be a better person or be good. It's about just saying there's patterns of this world that get into me. And I need you, Jesus, to help me to see those. Before I close, I'll tell you the end of chapter 6, which gets juicy. And you're all going to know. You know why? Because you're all reading it. It says this. Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. A simple statement of Jesus giving people hope is heard either as words of life or words that will make you grumble and upset. He shouldn't be allowed to speak this way. Only Moses was with the one who said, I am. How can he think he's equal to Moses? Jesus will teach them as he goes to the cross that he's even greater than Moses. But you got to go with him all the way to the cross. Maybe for some of you, this is like a surprise step. You're learning about Lent. You're learning about Moses. You're learning about the Gospel of John. Wherever you are, can I just encourage you that Jesus has something for you that will set you free from the patterns of this world. Set you free. And as you're set free, you'll start to hear him say, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. All of these statements, and you'll be like, Jesus, may they go deep in me and help me to, as we go to the cross, understand them more. Because this Jesus promises that those who eat of his bread and drink of the water that he gives will never thirst again. Let's just stand before we pray. Pray with me. Father, our hearts are open and our minds surrendered to the fact that we need your strength to step into this next season. We need your strength to be focused and intentional about the ways, patterns in this world distract us from walking with you all the way to the cross so that we can see who you really are, the one who laughs in the face of wickedness and violence the one who reveals the powers for the weak, the one who is the bread of life. Today we begin this Lent season together and we ask you to remind us that just like you did with Moses, our worst mistakes, our worst habits, our worst regrets do not disqualify us from experiencing your freedom. You are a good God. Jesus, and we thank you for being the bread of life. Teach us what it means to eat on your teachings, to be rooted on, in your word, to trust you 
and to know that you will take us into places where we would not have gone on our own. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we want to encourage you that as you head out this week to remember to just take some time and consider some patterns that are taking place maybe and maybe be here on Wednesday night and just pray with us and remember that Jesus has some incredible things to teach us over these next few weeks together as we learn to trust him. God bless everyone. See you soon.